chapter nine of pyrrhus by jacob abbott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah the family of lysimachus b c two eighty four to two seventy three the reader will perhaps recollect that when pyrrhus withdrew from macedon before he embarked on his celebrated expedition into italy the enemy before he was compelled to retire was lysimachus lysimachus continued to reign in macedon for some time after pyrrhus had gone until finally he was himself overthrown under circumstances of a very remarkable character in fact his whole history affords a striking illustration of the nature of the results which often followed in ancient times from the system of government which then almost universally prevailed a system in which the supreme power was considered as rightfully belonging to some sovereign who derived it from his ancestors by hereditary descent and who in the exercise of it was entirely above all sense of responsibility to the subjects of his dominion it has sometimes been said by writers on the theory of civil government that the principle of hereditary sovereignty in the government of a nation has a decided advantage over any elective mode of designating the chief magistrate on account of its certainty if the system is such that on the death of a monarch the supreme power descends to his eldest son the succession is determined at once without debate or delay if on the other hand an election is to take place there must be a contest parties are formed plans and counterplans are laid a protracted and heated controversy ensues and when finally the voting is ended there is sometimes doubt and uncertainty in ascertaining the true result and very often an angry and obstinate refusal to acquiesce in it when it is determined thus the principle of hereditary descent seems simple clear and liable to no uncertainty or doubt while that of popular election tends to lead the country subject to it into endless disputes and often ultimately to civil war but though this may be in theory the operation of the two systems in actual practice it has been found that the hereditary principle has very little advantage over any other in respect to the avoidance of uncertainty and dispute among the innumerable forms and phases which the principle of hereditary descent assumes in actual life the cases in which one acknowledged and unquestioned sovereign of a country dies and leaves one acknowledged and unquestioned heir are comparatively few the relationships existing among the various branches of a family are often extremely intricate and complicated sometimes they become variously entangled with each other by intermarriages 
sometimes the claims arising under them are disturbed or modified or confused by conquests and revolutions and thus they often become so hopelessly involved that no human sagacity can classify or arrange them the case of france at the present time is a striking illustration of this difficulty there being in that country no less than three sets of claimants who regard themselves entitled to the supreme power the representatives namely of the bourbon the orleans and the napoleon dynasties each one of the great parties rests the claim which they severally advance in behalf of their respective candidates more or less exclusively on rights derived from their hereditary relationship to former rulers of the kingdom and there is no possible mode of settling the question between them but by the test of power even if all concerned were disposed to determine the controversy by a peaceful appeal to the principles of the law of descent as relating to the transmission of governmental power no principles could be found that would apply to the case or rather so numerous are the principles that would be required to be taken into the account and so involved and complicated are the facts to which they must be applied that any distinct solution of the question on theoretical grounds would be utterly impossible there is and there can be no means of solving such a question but power in fact the history of the smaller monarchies of ancient times is comprised sometimes for centuries almost exclusively in narratives of the intrigues the contentions and the bloody wars of rival families and rival branches of the same family in asserting their respective claims as inheritors to the possession of power this truth is strikingly illustrated in the events which occurred in macedon during the absence of pyrrhus in italy and sicily in connection with the family of lysimachus and his successor in power there these events we shall now proceed to relate in their order at the time when pyrrhus was driven from macedon by lysimachus previous to his going into italy lysimachus was far advanced in age he was in fact at this time nearly seventy years old he commenced his military career during the lifetime of alexander the great having been one of the great conquerors most distinguished generals many stories were told in his early life of his personal strength and valor on one occasion as was said when hunting in syria he encountered a lion of immense size single-handed and after a very desperate and obstinate conflict he succeeded in killing him though not without receiving severe wounds himself in the contest another story was that at one time having displeased alexander he was condemned to suffer death and that too in a very cruel and horrible manner he was to be thrown into a lion's den 
this was a mode of execution not uncommon in ancient times it answered a double purpose it not only served for a terrible punishment in respect to the man but it also effected a useful end in respect to the animal by giving him a living man to seize and devour the savage ferocity of the beast was stimulated and increased and thus he was rendered more valuable for the purposes and uses for which he was retained in the case of lysimachus however both these objects failed as soon as he was put into the dungeon where the lion was awaiting him he attacked the beast and though unarmed he succeeded in destroying him alexander admired so much the desperate strength and courage evinced by this exploit that he pardoned the criminal and restored him to favour lysimachus continued in the service of alexander as long as that monarch lived and when at the death of alexander the empire was divided among the leading generals the kingdom of thrace which adjoins macedon on the east was assigned to him as his portion he is commonly designated therefore in history as the king of thrace though in the subsequent part of his life he obtained possession also by conquest of the kingdom of macedon he married in succession several wives and experienced through them a great variety of domestic troubles his second wife was a sicilian princess named amostris she was a widow at the time of her marriage with lysimachus and had two sons after being married to her for some time lysimachus repudiated and abandoned her and she returned to sicily with her two sons and lived in a certain city which belonged to them there the young men were not of age and amostris accordingly assumed the government of the city in their name they however quarrelled with their mother and finally drowned her in order to remove her out of their way lysimachus though he might justly have considered himself as in some sense the cause of this catastrophe since by deserting his wife and withdrawing his protection from her he compelled her to return to sicily and put herself in the power of her unnatural sons was still very indignant at the event and fitting out an expedition he went to sicily captured the city took the sons of amostris prisoners and put them to death without mercy in retribution for their atrocious crime at the time when lysimachus put away his wife amostris he married arsinoe an egyptian princess the daughter in fact of ptolemy the son of logus who was at this time the king of egypt how far lysimachus was governed in his repudiation of amostris by this influence of arsinoe's personal attractions in winning his heart away from his fidelity to his legitimate wife and how far on the other hand he was alienated from her by her own misconduct or the violence of her temper is not now known at any rate the sicilian wife as has been stated was dismissed and sent home 
and the egyptian princess came into her place the small degree of domestic peace and comfort which lysimachus had hitherto enjoyed was far from being improved by this change the family of ptolemy was distracted by a deadly feud and by means of the marriage of arsinoe with lysimachus and of another marriage which subsequently occurred and which will be spoken of presently the quarrel was transferred in all its bitterness to the family of lysimachus where it produced the most dreadful results the origin of the quarrel in the household of ptolemy was this ptolemy married for his first wife eurydice the daughter of antipater when eurydice at the time of her marriage went with her husband into egypt she was accompanied by her cousin berenice a young and beautiful widow whom she invited to go with her as her companion and friend a great change however soon took place in the relations which they sustained to each other from being very affectionate and confidential friends they became as often happens in similar cases on far less conspicuous theatres of action rivals and enemies berenice gained the affections of ptolemy and at length he married her arsinoe whom lysimachus married was the daughter of ptolemy and berenice they had also a son who was named ptolemy and who at the death of his father succeeded him on the throne this son subsequently became renowned in history under the name of ptolemy philadelphus he was the second monarch of the ptolemaic line but besides these descendants of berenice there was another set of children in ptolemy's family namely those by eurydice eurydice had a son and a daughter the name of the son was ptolemy seranus that of the daughter was lysandra there was of course a standing and bitter feud always raging between these two branches of the royal household the two wives though they had once been friends now of course hated each other with perfect hatred each had her own circle of partisans and adherents and the court was distracted for many years with the intrigues the plots the dissensions and the endless schemes and counter-schemes which were resorted to by the two parties in their efforts to thwart and circumvent each other as arsinoe the wife of lysimachus was the daughter of berenice it might have been expected that the influence of berenice's party would prevail in lysimachus's court this would doubtless have been the case had it not been that unfortunately there was another alliance formed between the two families which complicated the connection and led in the end to the most deplorable results this other alliance was the marriage of agathocles the son of lysimachus with lysandra eurydice's daughter thus in the court and family of lysimachus berenice had a representative in the person of her daughter arsinoe the wife of the king himself while eurydice also had one in the person of her daughter lysandra the wife of the king's son 
of course the whole virulence of the quarrel was spread from egypt to macedon and the household of lysimachus was distracted by the dissensions of arsinoe and lysandra and by the attempts which each made to effect the destruction of the other of course in this contest the advantage was on the side of arsinoe since she was the wife of the king himself while lysandra was only the wife of his son still the position and the influence of lysandra were very high agathocles was a prince of great consideration and honour he had been very successful in his military campaigns had won many battles and had greatly extended the dominion and power of his father he was a great favourite in fact both with the army and with the people all of whom looked up to him as the hope and the pride of the kingdom of course the bestowal of all this fame and honour upon lysandra's husband only served to excite the rivalry and hatred of arsinoe the more she and lysandra were sisters or rather half-sisters being daughters of the same father they were however on this very account natural enemies to each other for their mothers were rivals arsinoe of course was continually devising means to curtail the growing importance and greatness of agathocles agathocles himself on the other hand would naturally make every effort to thwart and counteract her designs in the end arsinoe succeeded in convincing lysimachus that agathocles was plotting a conspiracy against him and was intending to take the kingdom into his own hands this may have been true whether it was true or false however can now never be known at all events lysimachus was induced to believe it he ordered agathocles to be seized and put into prison and then a short time afterward he caused him to be poisoned lysandra was overwhelmed with consternation and sorrow at this event she was moreover greatly alarmed for herself and for her children and also for her brother ptolemy Cyrannus, who was with her at this time it was obvious that there could be no longer any safety for her in macedon and so taking with her her children her brother and a few friends who adhered to her cause she made her escape from macedon and went to asia here she cast herself upon the protection of seleucus king of syria seleucus was another of the generals of alexander the only one in fact besides lysimachus who now survived he had of course like lysimachus attained to a very advanced period of life being at this time more than seventy-five years old these veterans might have been supposed to have lived long enough to have laid aside their ancient rivalries and to have been willing to spend their few remaining years in peace but it was far otherwise in fact seleucus was pleased with the pretext afforded him by the coming of lysandra for embarking in new wars lysandra was in a short time 
followed in her flight by many of the nobles and chieftains of macedon who had espoused her cause lysimachus in fact had driven them away by the severe measures which he had adopted against them these men assembled at the court of seleucus and there with lysander and ptolemy seranus they began to form plans for invading the dominions of lysimachus and avenging the cruel death of agathocles seleucus was very easily induced to enter into these plans and war was declared lysimachus did not wait for his enemies to invade his dominions he organized an army crossed the hellespont and marched to meet seleucus in asia minor the armies met in phrygia a desperate battle was fought lysimachus was conquered and slain seleucus now determined to cross the hellespont himself and advancing into thrace and macedon to annex those kingdoms to his own domains ptolemy seranus accompanied him this ptolemy it will be recollected was the son of ptolemy king of egypt by his wife eurydice and at first view it might seem that he could have no claim whatever himself to the crown of macedon but eurydice his mother was the daughter of antipater the general to whom macedon had been assigned on the original division of the empire after alexander's death antipater had reigned over the kingdom for a long time with great splendor and renown and his name and memory were still held in great veneration by all the macedonians ptolemy seranus began to conceive therefore that he was entitled to succeed to the kingdom as the grandson and heir of the monarch who was alexander's immediate successor and whose claims were consequently as he contended entitled to take precedence of all others moreover ptolemy seranus had lived for a long time in macedon at the court of lysimachus having fled there from egypt on account of the quarrels in which he was involved in his father's family he was a man of a very reckless and desperate character and while a young man in his father's court he had shown himself very ill able to brook the preference which his father was disposed to accord to berenice and to her children over his mother eurydice and him in fact it was said that one reason which led his father to give berenice's family the precedence over that of eurydice and to propose that her son rather than ptolemy seranus should succeed him was the violent and uncontrollable spirit which seranus displayed at any rate seranus quarrelled openly with his father and went to macedon to join his sister there he had subsequently spent some considerable time at the court of lysimachus and had taken some active part in public affairs when agathocles was poisoned he fled with lysandra to seleucus and when the preparations were made by seleucus for war with lysimachus he probably regarded himself as in some sense the leader of the expedition he considered seleucus as his ally going with him to aid him in the attempt 
to recover the kingdom of his ancestors seleucus however had no such design he by no means considered himself as engaged in prosecuting an expedition for the benefit of Seranus. his plan was the enlargement of his own dominion and as for Seranus, he regarded him only as an adventurer following in his train a useful auxiliary perhaps but by no means entitled to be considered as a principal in the momentous transactions which were taking place Seranus, when he found what the state of the case really was being wholly unscrupulous in respect to the means that he employed for the attainment of his ends determined to kill seleucus on the first opportunity seleucus seems to have had no suspicion of this design for he advanced into thrace on his way to macedon without fear and without taking any precautions to guard himself from the danger of seranus's meditated treachery at length he arrived at a certain town which they told him was called argos he seemed alarmed on hearing this name and when they inquired the reason he said that he had been warned by an oracle at some former period of his life to beware of argos as a place that was destined to be for him the scene of some mysterious and dreadful danger he had supposed that another argos was alluded to in this warning namely an argos in greece he had not known before of the existence of any argos in thrace if he had been aware of it he would have ordered his march so as to have avoided it altogether and now in consequence of the anxious forebodings that were excited by the name he determined to withdraw from the place without delay he was however overtaken by his fate before he could effect his resolution ptolemy seranus watching a favourable opportunity which occurred while he was at argos came stealthily up behind the aged king and stabbed him in the back with a dagger seleucus immediately fell down and died ptolemy seranus forthwith organized a body of adherents and proceeded to macedon where he assumed the diadem and caused himself to be proclaimed king he found the country distracted by dissensions many parties having been formed from time to time in the course of the preceding reigns each of which was now disposed to come forward with its candidates and its claims all these ptolemy seranus boldly set aside he endeavoured to secure all those who were friendly to the ancient house of antipater by saying that he was antipater's grandson and heir and on the other hand to conciliate the partisans of lysimachus by saying that he was lysimachus's avenger this was in one sense true for he had murdered seleucus the man by whom lysimachus had been destroyed he relied however after all for the means of sustaining himself in his new position not on his reasons but on his troops and he accordingly advanced into the country more as a conqueror coming to subjugate a nation by force than as a prince 
succeeding peacefully to an hereditary crown he soon had many rivals and enemies in the field against him the three principal ones were antiochus antigonus and pyrrhus antiochus was the son of seleucus he maintained that his father had fairly conquered the kingdom of macedon and had acquired the right to reign over it that ptolemy seranus by assassinating seleucus had not divested him of any of his rights but that they all descended unimpaired to his son and that he himself therefore was the true king of macedon antigonus was the son of demetrius who had reigned in macedon at a former period before lysimachus had invaded and conquered the kingdom antigonus therefore maintained that his right was superior to that of ptolemy for his father had been the acknowledged sovereign of the country at a period subsequent to that of the reign of antipater pyrrhus was the third claimant he had held macedon by conquest immediately before the reign of lysimachus and now since lysimachus had been deposed his rights as he alleged revived in a word there were four competitors for the throne each urging claims compounded of rights of conquest and of inheritance so complicated and so involved one with the other as to render all attempts at a peaceable adjudication of them absolutely hopeless there could be no possible way of determining who was best entitled to the throne in such a case the only question therefore that remained was who was best able to take and keep it this question ptolemy seranus had first to try with antigonus who came to invade the country with a fleet and an army from greece after a very short but violent contest antigonus was defeated both by sea and by land and seranus remained master of the kingdom this triumph greatly strengthened his power in respect to the other competitors he in fact contrived to settle the question with them by treaty in which they acknowledged him as king in the case of pyrrhus he agreed in consideration of being allowed peaceably to retain possession of his kingdom to furnish a certain amount of military aid to strengthen the hands of pyrrhus in the wars in which he was then engaged in italy and sicily the force which he thus furnished consisted of five thousand foot four thousand horse and fifty elephants thus it would seem that everything was settled there was however one difficulty still remaining arsinoe the widow of lysimachus still lived it was arsinoe it will be recollected whose jealousy of her half-sister lysandra had caused the death of agathocles and the flight of lysandra and which had led to the expedition of seleucus and the subsequent revolution in macedon when her husband was killed she instead of submitting at once to the change of government shut herself up in cassandria a rich and well-defended city she had her sons with her who as the children of lysimachus were heirs to the throne she was well aware that she had for the time being no means at her command 
for supporting the claims of her children but she was fully determined not to relinquish them but to defend herself and her children in the city of cassandria as well as she was able until some change should take place in the aspect of public affairs serranus of course saw in her a very formidable and dangerous opponent and after having triumphed over antigonus and concluded his peace with antiochus and with pyrrhus he advanced toward cassandria revolving in his mind the question by what means he could best manage to get arsinoe and her children into his power he concluded to try the effect of cunning and treachery before resorting to force he accordingly sent a message to arsinoe proposing that instead of quarrelling for the kingdom they should unite their claims and asking her for this purpose to become his wife he would marry her he said and adopt her children as his own and thus the whole question would be amicably settled arsinoe very readily acceded to this proposal it is true that she was the half-sister of serranus but this relationship was no bar to a matrimonial union according to the ideas that prevailed in the courts of kings in those days arsinoe accordingly gave her consent to the proposal and opened the gates of the city to serranus and his troops serranus immediately put her two sons to death arsinoe herself fled from the city very probably serranus allowed her to escape since as she herself had no claim to the throne any open violence offered to her would have been a gratuitous crime which would have increased unnecessarily the odium that would naturally attach to serranus's proceedings at any rate arsinoe escaped and after various wanderings found her way back to her former home in her father's court at alexandria the heart of serranus was now filled with exultation and pride all his schemes had proved successful and he found himself at last in secure possession as he thought of a powerful and wealthy kingdom he wrote home to his brother in egypt ptolemy philadelphus by whom as the reader will recollect he had been supplanted there in consequence of his father's preference for the children of berenice saying that he now acquiesced in that disposition of the kingdom of egypt since he had acquired for himself a better kingdom in macedon he proceeded to complete the organization of his government he recruited his armies he fortified his towns and began to consider himself as firmly established on his throne all his dreams however of security and peace were soon brought to a very sudden termination there was a race of half-civilized people on the banks of the danube called gauls some tribes of this nation afterwards settled in what is now france and gave their name to that country at the period however of the events which we are here relating the chief seat of their dominion was a region on the banks of the danube north of macedon and thrace here they had been for some time 
concentrating their forces and gradually increasing in power although their movements had been very little regarded by serranus now however a deputation suddenly appeared at serranus's capital to say that they were prepared for an invasion of his dominions and asking him how much money he would give for peace serranus in the pride of his newly established power treated this proposal with derision he directed the ambassadors to go back and say that far from wishing to purchase peace he would not allow peace to them unless they immediately sent him all their principal generals as hostages for their good behaviour of course after such an interchange of messages as this both parties immediately prepared for war serranus assembled all the forces that he could command marched northward to meet his enemy and a great battle was fought between the two armies serranus commanded in person in this conflict he rode into the field at the head of his troops mounted on an elephant in the course of the action he was wounded and the elephant on which he rode becoming infuriated at the same time perhaps from being wounded himself too threw his rider to the ground the gauls who were fighting around him immediately seized him without any hesitation or delay they cut off his head and raising it on the point of a pike they bore it about the field in triumph this spectacle so appalled and intimidated the army of the macedonians that the ranks were soon broken and the troops giving way fled in all directions and the gauls found themselves masters of the field the death of ptolemy serranus was of course the signal for all the old claimants to the throne to come forward with their several pretensions anew a protracted period of dissension and misrule ensued during which the gauls made dreadful havoc in all the northern portions of macedon antigonus at last succeeded in gaining the advantage and obtained a sort of nominal possession of the throne which he held until the time when pyrrhus returned to epirus from italy pyrrhus being informed of this state of things could not resist the desire which he felt of making an incursion into macedon and seizing for himself the prize for which rivals no better entitled to it than he were so fiercely contending End of chapter nine